the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get underway at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday. Sounds strange, doesn't it? We're starting the week on a Tuesday, the third morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. I hope you enjoyed your long Labor Day weekend. If you had a long Labor Day weekend, thank you to all first responders who don't get Labor Day off. Thank you to all hospital workers, caregivers, and others who work uh, 365 days a year. Uh, some people, you know, there's an old adage in sports, no days off. Uh, well, that uh, is certainly true in a lot of professions and a lot of careers around our country. And we thank all of those who had to work during the holiday. And those of us who enjoyed the time off, I'm glad to have you back right here on AM 1420. The answer coming up in one hour, as it is a Tuesday and not a Monday, no matter how much it may feel like that. We will talk to Peter Kirsten now at 10.05 this morning. Looking forward to his conversation on all things current and specifically on the ongoing gun battle in the United States. And I mean that, of course, as a, d- a double entendre, because the, it really is um, a two-pronged gun battle. There are gun battles on the streets, and that is leading, of course, to the gun battles in the social media world, and, of course, in the media world, and, of course, in Washington, D.C., and in Columbus, Ohio, and in the leadership of all of our states. Um, that battle is um, is is one that we have to win. Why? Because if we don't, we will lose the first battle as well. Let me explain. Quite obviously, we continue to see this epidemic uh, continuing to grow and spread of nut jobs. Uh, and I'm just going to be frank here. Okay, these pe- mental illness among the mass shooters is real. It is not something that Donald Trump invented. It's not something that uh, is, is a scapegoat to hide the real problem, which is too many guns. It's real. 
So these nut jobs that continue to decide, I've had enough, my girlfriend broke up with me, I was bullied here, I was bullied there, this didn't go right in my life, that didn't go right in my life, I got fired from my job, the way they uh, this, this uh, Midland Odessa, Texas shooter uh, apparently did, you know, all of these things, uh, so I'm going to go take it out on the world. And I'm going to get my gun, and I'm going to go and and uh, you know and and just kill a bunch of innocent people. These are nut jobs. These are lunatics. These are people with mental illness. And the more these things happen, obviously, the more we start to see the first part of that two part gun battle. Excuse me, the second part of that two part gun battle. People going to battle verbally with one another over taking the guns away from people who need to defend themselves. In the first part of the gun battle. I hope that's not too con- uh, uh, convoluted. Basically this, because bad guys are going to get their hands on guns, no matter whether they are allowed to or not, we as innocent good guys need to be able to, at our own discretion, be able to defend ourselves and our family and our property in whatever capacity we decide is necessary. Bad guys are going to have weapons. Good guys cannot be stripped of their weapons as a result. And we can go on and on and on and talk about statistics, and we will, about the number of times guns are used for defensive purposes compared to the number of times they are used for offensive and illegal purposes, and the numbers may stagger you. They literally are incredible. The the uh, the vast amount more of uh, uh, times that guns are used for defensive purposes than they are to commit crimes, to commit assault, to commit murder, attempted murder, etc. So they want to take the guns away in part number two, so that you then will lose gun battle part number one. And this is where our focus needs to be. First, a little bit of what we know: thirty-six-year-old Odessa man. Over the weekend, accused of killing seven and injuring 22 others in uh, Midland, Odessa, two towns close to one another on Saturday, had a criminal record in Central Texas, according to the Texas Department of Public Safety uh, Records. Uh, DPS criminal history sh- search showed that Seth Aaron Ator was arrested on uh, in uh, August of 2001 for an evading the, an arrest charge and a criminal trespass charge as well. When he was 18, he pleaded guilty to both Class B misdemeanor charges. Uh, sentences in both cases were deferred in 2002. Online records showed no previous addresses for him. This individual, uh, according to multiple reports, was not allowed to own a firearm. Let's say that again. The laws said he was not allowed to own a firearm, and yet somehow, miraculously, he was able to obtain a firearm. Is this not exactly what we have constantly referred to if we are going to talk about putting new laws into play to stop people from getting guns which is what everybody on the left particularly wants to do then uh, perhaps we should think about I don't know enforcing the laws that are already on the books because somehow some way people aren't following them what, what a unique concept criminals committing crimes Lawbreakers breaking laws. What an amazing thought that is. The bottom line is legal private sales of firearms are still federally regulated. 
And there are harsh penalties for both buyer and seller who violate black mar- or uh, 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 violate those laws. And then there is the black market, in which people don't have any concerns whatsoever. These are illegally obtained weapons, perhaps illegally imported weapons, who are then sold illegally without any uh, knowledge whatsoever. This just in. Bad guys always seem to be well-armed, even if the law says they're not allowed to have a firearm because of a previous uh, conviction. If a bad guy couldn't buy an AR-15 legally, he can steal one. If a bad guy can't steal one, he could buy it on the black market or just find a different kind of gun. We do not need more gun control, if I can say this enough times, I don't think I can. We need criminal control, not gun control, because the guns are not responsible for the decisions made by the criminals. Not in Midland, Odessa, not in Parkland, Florida, not in Dayton, Ohio, not in El Paso, Texas, not in uh, any of these uh, terrible situations that we have seen growing in number and certainly in um, coverage through the last few years. It is not about the weapon of choice. It is about what is leading to the uh, decisions made by those holding those weapons. There's a very interesting and important, in my view, column that I would share portions of with you about what President Trump said about mass shootings. The president is right. Mental illness is an issue. Mental illness is what is the driver behind so many of these mass shootings like the one we just saw in Texas again this past Saturday. Now, I should also point out, in the interest of being 100% fair, President Trump has got a lot of views on this. President Trump, just a couple of weeks ago, after the last, quote, last mass shooting, the one, of course, in which you had El Paso on Saturday and Dayton on Sunday, President Trump has not always been clear in how to deal with this. President Trump said, as a matter of fact, we should immediately implement red flag laws. He supported them. And this, to me, was a problem. We must make sure that those judged to pose a grave risk to public safety do not have access to firearms, and that if they do, those firearms can be taken through rapid due process. That is why I have called for red flag laws, also known as extreme risk protection orders. I called the president out for this at the time he made that very, very ill-informed, rushed statement. And I will call him out again if he repeats it. Fortunately, he seems to have either had more discussions with his advisors, reconsidered, or stepped back for some reason in this, but he is now not calling for red flag laws, even in the aftermath of Midland Odessa. Now he is saying this is not going to be about new gun control. We have to deal with mental illness. And the president is right. The column I'm referring to is from uh, Breitbart uh, yesterday. The debate about America's mentally ill and how best to help them and protect the public if they pose a threat goes back decades to deinstitutionalization movement that started in the 1960s with the best of intentions, but led to streets and prisons filled with the victims of the failed idea. Society literally steps around people living on the sidewalks and doesn't have to deal with those behind bars. But when an individual decides to kill as many innocent people as possible, the debate rises to the surface again. 
including after the recent mass shootings in Texas and Ohio that killed 31. The shooter in Dayton, who also died, had cocaine, alcohol, and other anti-anxiety medication in his system, an autopsy revealed. President Trump's reaction, which again I just uh, played for you, uh, also talked about mental illness. Speaking with reporters before heading to a campaign rally in New Hampshire, President Trump said that mental health was an under-considered factor in gun violence and that his administration would examine it at a level that hasn't been done before. These people are mentally ill, he said, and nobody talks about that. We have to start building institutions again, said the president. Because, you know, if you look at the 60s and 70s, so many of these institutions were closed and the people were just allowed to go onto the streets. That was a terrible thing for our country, end quote. Now, Leftist media have mocked the president for his assertion about mental illness and its ties to the mass shootings, including the taxpayer-funded PBS, which found several experts who disagreed with the president. Dr. Marvin Schwartz, professor of psychiatry and behavioral science at Duke University, was given wide range on PBS uh, to denounce the president, and he referenced a widely quoted paper by his colleagues at Duke University uh, which found that even if mental illness were eliminated completely as a risk factor, violence would only go down by about 4%. That's their assertion. Characterizing this as merely or primarily a mental health issue is misleading, said the doctor. Uh, the vast majority of people with mental illness would never be violent, he said, making a claim that some studies confirm. But there is a problem. The problem, again, is in the deinstitutionalization movement. President John F. Kennedy signed the Community Mental Health Act in 1963. The law was meant to move mentally ill people out of state institutions into community-based clinics. Some examining the issue have blamed President Reagan for furthering the deinstitutionalization movement. When, as California governor, he signed the Lanterman-Petrus uh, Short Act, which ended the practice of institutionalizing patients against their will. This law is regarded by some as a patient's bill of rights, but ultimately it resulted in many mentally ill people in that state onto the streets or to prisons where they're incarcerated. By the 1990s, the number of people in mental institutions dropped from the previous high of about a half million in 1955 to about 70,000 in 1994. And afterwards, you see a disaster, said Jeff, uh, Dr. Jeff Lieberman professor of psychiatry at Columbia. And in the PBS report, he said people who had been released from state mental institutions or maybe would have been hospitalized in them no longer were. And there were inadequate community-based services. What resulted was homelessness, mental patients in nursing homes and increase in nursing homes and increasingly in jails. And even the people involved in launching the deinstitutionalization movement expressed regret. Why? because of the unintended consequences that followed. I'll share some more of this with you after we get a time out. It's 9.20, and if you're on hold and I see some people there early, we'll get to you right away. It's 9.20, this is the Bob France Authority, talking about yet another mass shooting and the overreaction, not that we should not be overly concerned, but overreaction gun control calls from the American left. Once again, on AM 1420, The Answer.
All right, 924 now. The Bob France Authority continues. I want to um, continue with the uh, op-ed in uh, Breitbart uh, about the president and the problem that we have created for ourselves with respect to mental illness and people who become violent and dangerous in large part because we have uh, decided that political correctness for lack of a better word, really, um, has uh, has led to the deinstitutionalization of people who should indeed be institutionalized. We'll talk more about that, but I do want to get a call in here from Ron, because Ronald Zarnecki uh, is the president of the... Um, uh, of the uh, Convention of Conservative Clubs. He is uh, actually specifically the Conservative Clubs Convention meeting is going to be held uh, at the North Royalton Library tonight, and I asked him to call in and tell everybody what this is all about. Uh, Ron, good to have you on the program. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Very well. Very busy. Very busy. I know you are. That's why I wanted to get you in now so you didn't have to sit on hold too terribly long, uh, Ron, because uh, I love what the Conservative Clubs uh, Convention is is all about. You've got a meeting tonight, and I wanted you to kind of tell people who have never been to one of these meetings what they're all about and uh, see if they want to come and check it out and see if they would like to join. Yes, well, this summer we started on organizing for the 2020 convention on early. We've already uh, secured Church on the Rise. We secured March 28th, 2020 will be the date and place of the event. And uh, we've got 5,000 square feet this year. we got a separate wow. room for podium speakers. So we're, we're really up in the game. And um, also upping what we'd like to do this year, bringing in those debate clubs to um, spar with uh, celebrities. And uh, whatever side they take, the celebrity has to take the other side. Parents will vote in the audience, and best scorers will get a trophy at the end. But it's going to take sponsors for different areas. It's going to take um, extra hands to make phone calls and uh, look for expo tables and sponsors for different things, and, and particularly advertisement to get the word out, uh, not to our, our base like like the listeners that you have, but also to our younger families, our high school families, and uh, new people that are new to conservatism. That's exactly why I thought it would be good to have you on, Ron, is because I want to I want to share that with people. Um, but but and I want other people to do the same, not just the base, but get other people involved. What? How do they tell them? How do they explain this to them? How would they get them to convince them to want to walk through the door at the uh, convention? Well, this is a convention that only has uh, two requirements: that the uh, speakers and exhibitors be conservative. And as local as possible. Other than that, we'll be bringing in people that, uh, American Trinity Project and Constitution, the Ohio Defenders of the Constitution, uh, religious groups, uh, Tea Party, very conservative, very moderate conservative groups. There'll be just everybody who's anybody in the movement will be there. And these residents of Cuyahoga County can actually find a place to, to be, to attend meetings, to financially support, and to, um, Sign up for their email list and just be connected with them. There's a place for everybody in conservatism. You're exactly right. That's the big tent that it's you know it's a kind of a uh, it's a misnomer that the left likes to use to say that we are somehow limited in uh, in scope in terms of dem- demographics. And no, it's not. It's a big tent. It's a diverse tent, and we are trying to make that even more so uh, in in the world yeah. of conservatism. Um, and do you agree, Bob? It's nonpartisan. There are conservative Democrats on Wiki. They talk about fifteen percent being pro-life, uh, wanting borders. Um, there are conservatives in, in all political parties. Uh, 
That's very well said, uh, Ron. Ron Zarnecki is uh, is my guest. He is with um, uh, the Conservative Clubs Convention. There is a meeting again tonight in North Royalton. Now, mm-hmm. uh, now you said this is this also open to everyone, like the uh, the convention is, as long as you are conservative. I mean, do people can people just come and check out the meeting this evening, or does it have to be invite only? Yeah, if you uh, are for conservatism and, and, and making this happen, uh, we'd love to have you at least on a committee making phone calls, writing letters, finding contacts for us. But, uh, yeah, to chair people, we really want hard, conservative, dedicated to the cause. Um, but, yeah, it, people are welcome to come to the meeting and check it out and listen. Um, we have uh, chair positions that we're looking for tonight, and uh, we'll be looking for people to help those chair positions. This is going to be at the North Royalton Library, 7 p.m. So if your heart is into this and you want to see it happen, uh, this is the the night to show up and say, hey, I'm in and here's my information. That's what I was looking for, and that's exactly why I was uh, asking you to call in to kind of tell people about this. It's such a great event. Um, what, did you say the date yet for the convention, the 2020 March 28th. I'm sorry? Saturday. March 28th. March 28th. Saturday, March 28th. Okay, so obviously that's a ways off. There's a lot of work that has to go into it between now and then. But if anybody wants to just kind of maybe set that little reminder on their calendar, the Convention of Conservative Clubs 2020, it's going to be massive. It's going to be amazing. I've already been looking at uh, some of the uh, plans that you have put together, Ron, and I want to continue to promote and push this over the course of the next uh, few months. And uh, so the more we can hear from you and uh, committee members and uh, other individuals who are supportive of the cause and working with with you i would love to hear from you all so that we continue to drive more and more people to this very important event thanks much for your help bob ron thank you i appreciate you calling in this morning that's ron zarnecki again uh with the uh, convention of conservative clubs and there's a meeting tonight at seven in north royalton so if you're interested uh north royalton library and and truly are as he said supportive of the cause and and want to help and want to be a part of the solution to these problems, please make sure you contact Ron or stop by the uh, meeting tonight and, um, and, and see what you can contribute. As he said, it's not just about the base, the people who listen to this show or this station on a regular basis, because we're all down with the cause, if you will. But it's about getting other people to join us. That's the key here, spreading the message the numbers need to grow. All right, uh, I will come back to the issue of the deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill and how that has coincided with gun violence, uh, as evidenced by the uh, uh, research done by uh, Breitbart. I'll share that with you again. The president is right, and no one is talking about this aspect of gun violence. They're talking about bump stocks and magazine cartridge size and, and everything else, but they're not talking about the root cause of so many of these terrible acts of violence. That's coming up after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, 936 now, the Bob France Authority on this Tuesday morning. Thank you for joining us on uh, AM 1420 The Answer. I want to continue... It's important information, important information in the wake of this uh, most recent mass shooting and this spree between the uh, towns of Midland and Odessa, Texas, over the weekend. And again, the immediate screams of gun control from the left. We're talking about what President Trump said. Maybe we should be talking about more. President Trump perhaps having seen the light a little bit. I played for you his clip after the El Paso and Dayton shootings calling for red flag laws calling for an end to due process. He called it rapid due process. No such thing as rapid due process. 
you you give people due process or you take it away from them. So the president seems to have seen the light and is now saying our focus shouldn't be on the guns but on the people and their mental illnesses. And I'm sharing with you this uh, op-ed in Breitbart, Breitbart rather. That uh, I'm going to get to the core of the issue here. Uh, uh, the website The Balance did a report shedding light on the journey from having places to care for the mentally ill institutions to a nation that virtually ignores the mentally ill, which can lead to these unintended consequences. There were, according to the report, there were positive results of the deinstitutionalization movement from the 60s, including giving more rights to people with disabilities, such as those with Down syndrome or others with high-functioning mental disorders who were unnecessarily put into hospitals indefinitely. That's a problem. It was corrected. But the cons are numerous including putting severely mentally ill people on the streets or with their families who struggle to care for them. The courts made it almost impossible to commit anyone against their will, the balance report stated. That's true regardless of whether it was for the person's own safety and welfare or for that of others. J. Reed Malloy, a forensic psychologist who studies mass shootings and mental illnesses, including all of them uh, on the average, uh, excuse me, all on the average of 20 mass shootings a year since 1976. So this person is an expert in this field, made the connection between mental illness and these mass shootings. He found that mass murderers suffer mental illness that range, uh, illnesses that range from chronic psychotic disturbances and schizophrenia to paranoid disorders. They have paranoid, narcissistic, and schizoid traits of personality disorders. He said these shooters are not normal people who suddenly just snapped, but those who have suffered for years with untreated or poorly treated mental illnesses. Most plan the shootings for years, the report stated, adding that Malloy believes, quote, behavioral threat assessments could help prevent these tragedies. Dr. Alan Lippman, whose expertise is studying the psychology of violence at George Washington Medical Center, said mass shooters fall into one of three categories. Psychotic, sociopathic, or psychopathic, or a man between the ages of 16 and 25 who is depressed and violent. Dr. Michael Stone, a forensic psychiatrist at Columbia, said 20% of mass shooters are psychotic or delusional, compared with just 1% in the general population. Almost half of all mass killers have depression, learning disabilities, or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. 40% had alcohol or drug dependencies as well. The report concluded that regulations to protect the rights of the mentally ill can hinder treatment, including the reality that an individual can't be committed unless they have already proven to be a threat to themselves or others. Judges cannot order seriously mentally ill people to stay in treatment. People are not allowed to remove guns for mentally ill people who threaten themselves or others, the article concluded. Reversal of these policies and rules could allow family members to get treatment for their mentally ill loved ones and protect society. A lot of our conversation has to do with the fact that we have to open up institutions, President Trump said, and when discussing El Paso and Dayton, we can't let these people be on the streets, end quote. All right, so that part of the story is extraordinarily important to me. President Trump's saying let's focus on the conditions, the psychological conditions and psychiatric conditions of these people, of the shooters. What do we know about them? When did we know about their conditions? And what is the likelihood that they might become violent the way so many of these mass shooters have been uh, with the same conditions? And how do we treat them without 
violating their constitutional rights without violating due process. This is what must be studied, not universal background checks, not banning of, 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 of uh, certain types of ammunition. Certainly not. Certainly not the lunacy that comes from the likes of Joe Biden, one of three Democratic frontrunners for president of the presidency, who declared that we should not be giving, or excuse me, we should not allow people to have weapons with magazines that hold more than one bullet. Wait, what? France, clearly you misspoke there. He didn't say more than one bullet, did he? No. Not exactly in those words, but here's what he did say. He said we should not allow magazines that hold multiple bullets. So I went ahead and took the liberty of using the synonymous term uh, more than one with multiple. More than one is multiple. No magazines with multiple bullets. The problem is every magazine has multiple bullets. Apparently, Joe uh, Biden is is you know perhaps um, going backwards in his mind to to the days of his youth when uh, muskets were the weapon of of choice and the only weapon available. One bullet or one iron ball at a time. And I'm only half joking about Joe, who seems and is acting as if he is sold that he really was alive during the days of musket use. But that's what he is calling for a return to if he said no magazines that can hold multiple bullets. Well, God forbid you are being attacked by multiple attackers because you're going to get to fire one and then have to reload the next bullet in the chamber and then fire another and then fire. Goodness gracious. So this is, is where we are. We are at a place where they are calling for limitations of weapons, of ammunition, of access to weapons for the honest, decent, constitutionally protected citizens of this country because of the actions of the non-decent, because of the, of the, of the violent uh, criminals of this society, rather than dealing with what leads these criminals to become criminals. Now, Here's one of the things that I think we can agree is not the solution. The solution is not to take firearms away from people before they have had their due process rights granted them. And that's exactly what happened to Shane Cofield. Shane Cofield is a Trump-supporting former Marine who had his firearms confiscated from him Um by law enforcement last month, and I say Maine, he's from he's uh, from Oregon. My apologies. Uh, he's a Trump supporting Marine, a former Marine, and he had his firearms taken from him by law enforcement last month under Oregon's new red flag law. This is what I discussed and debated to some extent with Ohio Governor Mike DeWine on these very airwaves about a week ago. The FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force took extraordinary steps against Cofield last month after he threatened to, quote, slaughter, end quote, Antifa in self-defense during a demonstration outside Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler's house, according to the Oregonian. If Antifa gets to the point where they start killing us, Cofield reportedly said, I'm going to kill them next. I'd slaughter them. And I have a detailed plan on how I could wipe, how I would wipe out Antifa. Now let me again point out what he's saying. If 
they start killing us, I'm going to slaughter them. And I have a detailed plan on how I could do it. Now, I don't know about you, that sounds like a plan for self-defense, not a plan for offensive uh, murder, homicide, mass shootings. This is somebody saying, we are going to defend ourselves. Portland is a very dangerous place, by the way. Portland is a very dangerous place. It's where Antifa kind of has, I don't want to say it has kind of set up its hub and all of them revolve around it, but it's pretty doggone close because there are constant battles between Antifa and others that they don't like uh, in in Portland. And I've got more on that coming up from Boston in a few minutes. It's a totally different story except for the fact that it has Antifa in it. FBI agents reportedly responded within days to the statement by Cofield, forcing him to surrender his firearms, which included an AR-15, a handgun, a rifle, and a shotgun to authorities. He was committed to a veterans' hospital for psychiatric observation. He was never charged with a crime. But Oregon's red flag law allows a judge to issue an extreme risk protection order. Same thing that uh, Governor DeWine wants to do here in our state against individuals who law enforcement or family members believe is potentially violent to themselves or others. The protective order lasts a year, but can be renewed indefinitely. Phil Lemon, Oregon's acting deputy state court administrator, told the Oregonian that judges have approved 98 protective orders since the law took effect last year. Remember, this ex-Marine who served two tours of duty for this country in Iraq, um simply stated that he would fight back if uh, Antifa got violent and started killing people. He would fight back. That is precisely what he is supposed to do. And I would expect everyone to do. Now, he is in facing this, um, this one-year uh, ban from his weapons and the knowledge that it could be continued indefinitely, Cofield has backed down. Cofield, in uh, response to the uh, protective order and the confiscation of his weapons, declared that he understands why they took them from him, claiming, quote, I looked unhinged, I looked dangerous to have the training, to, and I have the training to be dangerous. I figured that the key to de-escalating the situation is not to be the most violent person in the room, it was to be the scariest person in the room. As far as protests go, Cofield says his days of demonstration are over. So congratulations. By violating this man's constitutional rights, he had never committed a crime. But by violating his constitutional rights, they have convinced him that he doesn't need his constitutional rights anymore. Or at least, as I say, that's what he is saying because he knows that they can continue the ban on his weapons, quote, indefinitely. It's good for a year, but they can continue it indefinitely, and he's going to have to show that he is not a threat. So he's going to have to say the right things. He's going to have to kowtow to them. He's going to have to bow to their will. That is a problem. That is a major problem. But this is what happens when the, the instantaneous mentality of do something is what takes place after each and every one of these mass shooting events. And because they continue with relative frequency, each one uh, requires a louder do something than the one before. We are the people, and we demand that you government officials do something about these mass shootings. 
The problem is there is no, quote, something that is a cure-all. It's not a panacea. There is no, there is no panacea that is going to, is going to stop mass shootings unless you literally remove from the people their free will and their constitutional rights. Which, I'm sorry to say, for those who don't get this, are very closely interconnected. We have constitutional rights to protect ourselves. We also have freedom and liberty granted by the Constitution. And we also have free will granted to us by our Creator. And unless you are going to deny people their liberty, deny people their freedom, deny people their free will, and deny them their Second Amendment rights, you're going to have people who misuse and abuse those rights. Even if we have laws that don't allow people who are mentally ill, who are felons, who are uh, uh, you know a, a previous a previously convicted criminals, who are under quote unquote disability, meaning impaired in any way, we have laws that say these people can't get weapons. They're not allowed to buy weapons. They're not allowed to own weapons, and yet they do it anyway. What a shocking development that is. Unless you're ready to fully disarm the population, registries and then confiscations slash buyback programs, you're going to have shootings. You're going to have mass shootings. The question is is whether you're going to allow the victims of those mass shootings to have a legitimate chance to defend themselves or not. Much more on this topic coming up on AM 1420, The Answer, after this. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, 10.05, 10.08, somewhere in that neighborhood, Peter Kirsten is going to join us. We're going to talk about uh, reaction to the latest round of shootings, of course, in Midland and Odessa, Texas, and the uh, crazy calls to quote-unquote do something. Headed into this top of the hour break, though, I want to share with you the views of somebody who I think uh, best summarizes uh, mine uh, as well. Matt Schaefer is a representative in the Texas House of Representatives, state representative. He describes himself as a liberty-loving conservative. And liberty means freedom. And that means your constitutionally protected freedoms cannot be abridged. And this is what he tweeted in a six-tweet statement in response to uh, what happened in his state. Quote, Do something is the statement we keep hearing. As an elected official with a vote in Austin, let me tell you what I am not going to do. I am not going to use the evil acts of a handful of people to diminish the God-given rights of my fellow Texans, period. None of these so-called gun control solutions will work to stop a person with evil intent. I say no to red flag pre-crime laws. No to universal background checks. No to bans on AR-15s or high-capacity magazines. No to mandatory gun buybacks. What can we do? Yes to praying for victims. Yes to praying for protection. Yes to praying that God would transform the hearts of people with evil intent. Yes to fathers not leaving their wives and their children. Yes to discipline in their homes. Yes to supporting our public schools. Yes to giving every law-abiding single mom the right to carry a handgun to protect her and her kids without permission from the state. And the same for all other law-abiding Texans of age. Yes to your God-given, constitutionally protected rights. Yes to God, and no to more government intrusions. 
That is a six-tweet flurry from Texas State Representative Matt Schaefer. And I tweeted and I liked all, I retweeted and I liked all six of those tweets because I feel like they are extraordinarily important. We cannot just allow the passion of the moment and the, the fury of the angry that's a little bit redundant, my apologies, but the fury of the uh, you know, angry citizenry screaming, do something to force us to do the wrong thing. I think that's what led President Trump to saying the wrong thing. Right after the El Paso and Dayton shootings, he said, I support red flag laws. I'm calling on Congress to put these into effect with rapid due process, which is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a thing. It's, it, it, it doesn't exist. Due process is not something that can be sped up. Due process goes until the uh, the result is is obtained. You know, the result of an investigation, the result of a hearing, et cetera, et cetera. There is no such thing as rapid due process. And dragging people into courtrooms where they have to pay for pricey attorneys and court fees to prove that they are not going to commit a crime in the future is not. It's just. It's not only is it is it not sane. It's 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 un-American. You can't do that to people. And the president, of course, I think has realized that. He has pulled back from that. So we're going to talk uh, more about this coming up with Peter Kirsten now. We're going to talk about red flag laws. We're going to talk about um, uh, what the left uh, is not willing to do to violate your rights, which essentially is nothing. Apparently, there is no level to which they will not stoop to violate your rights in order to make themselves feel like they have, quote, done something. Look, we did something. It's not going to stop anything. But we've done something. We're going to talk about that with Peter Kersenow as well as a host of other issues. Stay right here for hour number two of the Bob, Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 